All right, so let's look here in Galatians chapter 3 and Titus chapter 2 tonight. I am glad to be here. I am glad to be saved. I know it's a little bit of a thin crowd, and that always affects things a little bit. At least it affects me, and I assume that because I'm a person, it affects you too. So it just is what it is, but that's all right. We're glad we're here, and at least I hope you're glad you're here. I hope nobody made you to come. I, ho- I hope your wife didn't grab you by the ear and say, you go into church tonight. And if she did, then we'll give her a cookie after the church service. Uh, but anyways, uh, tonight I want to try to preach to you a little bit about God's Reform School. God's Reform School. Uh, we had a little Christian school. Most of you know we had a little Christian school that sat over here, Christian, uh, Charlton Christian Academy. And uh, a lot of folks would try and call that place and they would try and bring their kids by and put them in there. And I think a lot of kids got put in there because they were actually kicked out of public school. And so oftentimes the inside joke between some of the folks here at the church, I know uh, Brother Spike and I joked about it at the time, Charlton Christian Academy is not a reform school. But that's the way a lot of folks looked at it. You know, we can't put your kids in public school, so we'll do the next best thing and put them in Christian school. That's, that's, that's not the way things are supposed to work. But that's the way society works, ain't it? Uh, just, you know, when everything else fails, then maybe we'll start thinking about turning to the Lord. That, that's, that's a bad way to look at things. And that, that's really how folks get into the situation to where they have nowhere to look but up. And some folks are so hard-hearted, they're not going to do that or hard-headed at least. You know, it's a, this don't really have a, it does have something to do with the sermon, but I probably won't be able to tie it in because I'll forget where I'm going. But I'll just say this, you know, if you keep doing the same thing over and over again and getting the same results, I think that's a signal to you that you should probably change what you're doing. It's a, it's a mark of insanity to do the same thing over and over again and hope for a different result. That, that's never going to work out. A lot of folks, I, I was listening to Brother Mike preach today. I was listening to him preach a message that he preached uh, not too long before he left here. It was in 2019. And he made the statement, there's a lot of little old ladies sitting in churches all across the United States this, this evening. And the, the only reason they believe King James Bible is the word of God. They, they don't believe that contemporary Christian music is right. And the only reason that they're sitting there in those churches after they have gotten rid of the King James and after they've brought in the quote-unquote praise and worship and they've done all this stuff, the only reason they're sitting there is because it's what's comfortable to them. And this is just what they've always known. And, you know, but things are not always going to be the same way. And you have to learn to move along. You have to learn to, to grow. You have to learn to grow. Growth demands change. And I know we had a, uh, we had a uh, president that ran on that political platform, but that was the wrong kind of change. The, the kind of change that they're talking about is not the right kind of change, but God demands change. I preached to you a sermon on Sunday. And I, I hope you haven't forgot that. But anyway, Sunday morning preached to you about this, uh, the Lord being the vine and, or yeah, the Lord being the vine and, the, and you and I being the branches. And the Lord comes through there and finds the branches that are producing fruit. And he purges them. He cleans them. Well, that demands change. It, it, demands, it demands change. And so when we talk about going through God's reform school, what it really is is God demanding, expecting change. I, I know that really cuts across the grain, and I know that you know that it cuts across the grain of the modern-day attitude. But I want to try to take these scriptures and reiterate something to you here this evening. So let's, let's take a look here in Galatians 3 and Titus chapter 2. And I actually, before I do that, I feel led to just read you a verse of scripture. I'm going to turn over to Romans 12. I'm going to turn to Romans 12 and then I'll pray and then we'll start reading. Romans chapter 12 is where I'll be reading from first. All right, Lord, thank you, God, for your goodness to us tonight. Lord, thank you for letting us be here. And Lord, I am a little bit distracted tonight. Got a lot of empty pews and Lord, had a good day, Lord, at least what I felt like was a good day on Sunday, Lord. And it's to be expected, God, just, Lord, this was not something that was unexpected. Lord, we knew folks was going away for uh, youth camp, but Lord, here we are. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us, God, Lord, as we're here, God. 
gathered around your word. God, I pray that you'd teach us something. God, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. God, deal with us. God, Lord, give us what it is that we need. Lord, no sense in worrying about the folks, God, that didn't come. And Lord, I do pray, God, Lord, having said that, I do pray. Lord, there's a lot of folks, God, that, Lord, maybe couldn't make it tonight. I, I don't know every situation, but Lord, I know with all my heart there are a lot of folks God, that, that could come, they, they could come, but just won't. And I don't know what's all behind that, Lord. All I know is that it's not right. But, Lord, it's your business, God. It's between you and them. And, uh, Lord, I don't feel like it would be right to take a hands-off attitude and just ignore it and say, well, it's not a big deal because it is a big deal. And it's going to be a bigger deal as we go forward. It's certainly going to be a big deal when we stand at the judgment seat. But, God, I pray that you deal with folks about this, Lord. I pray that you'd really, God, work on folks and help them to see and understand the importance, God, of being in church in the day and age in which we live. God, Lord, my mind goes to the fact that there's a lot of independent Baptist preachers, Lord, right around here in this area, God, that are canceling Sunday night services, God, and canceling Wednesday night services, all because it just demands a little bit too much of the flesh, God, for folks to be comfortable. And Lord, I, I know that folks get out and work throughout the week, and Lord, I know, God, that it's super hot during the summer, but Lord, I also know, God, Lord, that there's nothing, there is nothing, there is absolutely nothing as important in this life as getting in touch with God and getting a word from God and having God deal with our hearts. And Lord, I believe that's why I'm here. Lord, I believe that's why these folks are here tonight because we see that need, Lord. And I pray that you'd help the rest of our brothers and sisters, God, to see that need. Lord, I pray, God, if, if there's folks at home tonight, God, taking it easy, God, when they could have very well been in the house of God. I pray that you'd make them miserable and help them to see, God, that, Lord, their absence, Lord, has an effect on the services, God, Lord, where they are members, God, Lord, where they, are, where they belong, Lord. And I pray, God, just deal with folks, Lord. We trust you. We leave it in your hands, Lord, with that. But God, be with us here tonight, Lord. You said we're two or three are gathered in your name. There you'd be in the midst. And God, we claim that promise tonight, Lord. We, we ask you, God, to, to be here, Lord. We invite you, Lord, want you to be, Lord, not just welcome, but God, lead us, Lord, direct us. God, help us to understand, Lord, what's here, God. Lord, I, I pray that you give me words where words will fail. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Romans 12, verse 1. I, this is where I'm going to start. I was going to start with these other two passages. But Romans 12, verse 1, very familiar verse of Scripture. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's about as legalistic as you're going to get, ain't it? But that's exactly what it is. God is a legalist. If he wasn't, he would be an illegalist. And, and God is not that way. And I hope we can make that much more clear as we go on. Listen, salvation is by far free, is it not? Salvation is free. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, this gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But that's the only thing that's free in the Christian life. You want to have fellowship with God, that is going to cost you Something. I don't care who's told you what. I don't care what some preacher has stood up and erroneously informed you that grace will cover over up for fellowship and grace will cover your disobedience so that your disobedience doesn't matter. And no preacher, uh, I say no preacher, some preachers are getting pretty stupid to where they will say that kind of foolishness. And that is exactly what it is. It's foolishness. It's stupidity. Uh, but some, a lot of preachers won't say that. They won't come out and out and say that because they ain't got the guts to say it because they're cowards. Uh, they're like politicians. They don't want to really say what's on their mind and what they really believe because they're afraid that they'll split their church. Because there are some folks that still do believe, even in churches where pastors are not preaching holiness, where pastors are not preaching righteousness, there are some folks sitting in those churches who do believe it's right to live right. And so if a preacher really stood up and said, well, you know, it's just by grace and so disobedience doesn't really matter, it would split their church. It would just split it out. But the thing is, is that they're not going to take a strong stand against sin and not just preaching sin is wrong, but I mean calling it for what it is, naming it by name, and even naming folks if that's what's necessary. Uh, I, I don't want to get involved. I don't want, I, not that I don't want to get involved. I don't want to make a habit out of calling people's name from the pulpit. I'm talking about preachers. I, I don't believe that it's right to call people out in a church service. Uh, I have done that once, but that was because it was such a distraction that I had to say something. 
And I, but I don't even like doing that. I don't like doing that. I don't believe that that kind of stuff is right. I, I believe if you just preach the truth, if you just preach the Bible, folks will either get the picture and they'll either get right or leave. Uh, but when it comes to warning folks about false prophets and, and false preachers and false teachers, I'm not against calling a name every once in a while. I don't want to make a habit out of it. I don't want to ru ruin my ministry over being bitter at guys like that. Uh, but folks need to be warned. But anyways, that's big long rabbit trail, but it's all true. But he says right here, he says, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, holy, holy. Holy. That's what the Lord is. Holy. And if your life is going to resemble the Lord, your life should be holy. Some folks don't believe that holiness is a possibility. But it is. It's very possible. It's, it's very, very much within your reach. Oh, Brother Nathan, nobody can be sinlessly perfect. We're not talking about sinless. We're talking about being holy. I understand you're not going to be holy like God is. You're not going to be as holy as God is. But you can be, you can be complete. You can be mature. You can be righteous. The Bible said that the, uh, Paul the Apostle said, he said, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, he said, I was blameless. Yes, sir, you can, be, you, can be, you can be righteous. The issue is a lot of folks don't want to be righteous. But anyways, let's get on with this sermon. That's a different sermon I feel brewing. Let's look in verse 2. The Bible says, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, that's God's reform school. God don't want you to be the same person that you was before you got saved. Did you know that? God wants you to be distinctively, distinctively different. You say, what do you mean by distinctively different? I mean, when folks look at you, they should be able to tell that there's something different about the way that you are today from the day that you got saved. And that shouldn't, that shouldn't just be fitting for preachers and for pastors and for deacons and for elders in the church. That's every Christian. A Christian, a Christian should have the testimony. Well, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. You're supposed to care to that, to that extent. Listen, I'm not talking about being in bondage to uh, public opinion. I'm not talking about being in bondage to the opinions of this world. Uh, see, that's, that, that kind of mentality really blows me away. I don't care what anybody thinks of me. You know, uh, uh, it's, a, it's a very crude illustration. It, it's a very crude illustration, but I think it'll serve to get my point across. There's business fellows right here in this church that uh, they have their own businesses and they have employees. But, you know, those fellows, uh, many of those fellows don't have, you know, a dress code that's through the roof. I mean, it's blue collar labor. And, uh, but, you know, they have some kind of dress code. You know, you just can't show up on uh, to cut to cut grass. Listen, I know it's a very crude illustration, but it illustrated well. You can't crow, uh, show up to cut somebody's grass without any clothes on. So you've got some kind of standards. Well, I just don't care what anybody thinks about the way that I dress. Well, you care to some extent, and listen, you should. You, you should, especially if you're Christian. You should want to present. See, the thing is, is that the day that you got saved, the day that you got saved, this is no longer about your name. This is about the family name. Did you know that what I do reflects not only on myself, but it reflects on my daddy? It reflects on my mother. It reflects on my grandfather. I've got some Iries, believe it or not. I've got some Iries up in uh, New Jersey. I've got some, I've got some Iries. And my grandparents right now live in Virginia. Uh, my mother's maiden name is Dixon. And then on her mother's side, that's a legget. I've got a bunch of leggets that are buried right up here in Odom. You know, I've got their blood flowing through my vein. And what I do reflects on them. It really does. Uh, did you know that what you do, and I know, I know that you know this, but it, it serves as a wonderful reminder. What you do reflects on the family name. So to take the attitude, I don't, I don't give a rip what anybody thinks about me. Well, you backslid. You're wrong. Again, I'm not talking about being, being run by popular opinion. Uh, listen, if you care uh, about what people think about the fact that, you know, you're wearing the latest style, you know, Tommy Hilfinger's and uh, Ralph Lauren and all the rest of that stuff. I know it's Tommy Hilfiger or whatever it is, I, but I say Tommy Hilfinger's. 
Uh, but anyways, uh, you know, a lot of folks are worried to death about what people think about them in that regard. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is in relation to your holiness. You, you have a responsibility to be concerned with having a right testimony. And I tell you the best way to have a good testimony. Just live right. A preacher told me one time, he said, you know, the best way to not get your name slandered as far as inappropriate conduct, conduct with, a mem- with a member of the opposite gender. He said the best way to do that, to avoid, you know, the reputation of misconduct is just ensure nothing ever happens. Well, that's, that's really deep, but it's very true. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Abstain. Abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. I don't, if it don't look right, just, just abstain from it. Just stay away. Well, see, the, what I'm talking about is God has a reform school that when you get saved, God wants to begin to take you through the obstacle course, if you will. God wants to start taking you through basic training. God wants to sit you down and say, all right, now this is the way that you as a Christian are supposed to live. Well, what do you mean, preacher? We, we don't get to live any way that we want to. Well, you can if you want, but boy, you're going to be miserable as the devil. I could change that and say you're going to be as miserable as the average independent Baptist. Huh? Uh, you, know, you know folks come to church, Brother Michael, on Sunday morning and sit right in here. You say, Brother Nathan, you're preaching behind their back. Hey, it's, it's being broadcasted right now. They're too sorry to turn it on. I'm not worried about that. Amen. Amen. That's right. That's right. Uh, anyways, I guess folks, I guess folks reckon that they know everything that they need to know. They, they love themselves more than they love the Bible because here's an opportunity to hear it preached and taught and folks don't come. So I'm not, I'm not worried about folks being upset about what I say on a Wednesday night. If you want to defend yourself, be here. I'm going to keep talking about you. Uh, it's not gossip. Yes, sir. I'd be glad to say it to your face. Well, Brother Nathan, they're going to punch you in the nose. Then I'll have a bloody nose, and, but it'll still be true. Uh, it's like church, uh, Winston Churchill walked out of a bar one evening, and a lady looked at him and said, Mr. Churchill. Uh, Churchill was a prime minister of England during World War II. She said, Mr. Churchill, she said, you're drunk. And he said, yes, ma'am, and you're ugly, but in the morning I'll be sober. Amen. That's right. That, 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 that's true. Oh, you shouldn't talk about me when I'm not in church. Well, you should be in church. Anyways, I don't know how I got off on that. uh, Where where was I even going with all of that? Anyways, let's get back to this. Let's get back to this sermon. That was part of the sermon, I believe, with all of my heart. I just don't know how I was tying it in. But that would be okay. Be in church. That's how it was. But anyways, Galatians chapter 3. Hey, God doesn't, I remember where I was at. God, God doesn't just get you saved. God doesn't save your soul and then just cut you loose and say, do whatever you want. God, God has a prescribed way of living. And listen, you are not smarter than God. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a preacher. I'm a preacher. I'm a preacher. I'm a pastor. Happy to be, but I don't know better than the Lord. I, I, I have to take, I, listen, I am not very smart. I am not a genius. I don't have a whole lot of authority, but I have to take my instructions from the Lord. I didn't make this up. I didn't decide that this is the way that Christians are supposed to live. I take my instruction from God just like you do. I take my consequences from disobeying God just like you do. Hey, listen, one of the things I, I, that I didn't touch on in, in, on Sunday morning about that message in, from John 15 about I'm the vine, year the branches. You know what he doesn't delineate between? Listen, I, re, I realize that there is a difference between gifts in the church. I, I understand that. I understand. He gave some pastors, some evangelists, some teachers, some apostles. Some, I understand those things. But did you know that in John 15 there is no delineation between the members of the body it's just branches. Did you realize that I'm a branch just the same way that you are? Listen, if I disobey God's, God's implicit will, if I disobey what God has instructed me to do, the same thing that a preacher stands up here and says will happen to you is the same thing that will happen to him. 
Flesh is flesh. Saved people are saved people. It's just, it's the same. I understand God sets things up. I understand there's an order in the church. But listen, a lot of the stuff that I'm preaching to you, I'm not preaching to you because I'm trying to make your life miserable. I'm preaching to you what I have found has given me peace and what has given me joy. Listen, I know what it's like to be backslid. I know what it's like to be full of hell. I know, I know firsthand experience. I know what it's like to have a carnal mindset and just live after the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. And I know what it's like to come to church and have my face ripped off by a preacher who'd been praying and reading his Bible and studying and searching the scriptures. And I know what conviction feels like. I know what forgiveness feels like. And I know what joy feels like. I know what peace in my heart feels like. I know what it's like to come on to church on a Wednesday night and not have a whole lot of people in there and be able to worship God and have a good time and enjoy the fact that I was in church. I know what that's like. Nobody up here trying to make you miserable. Nobody trying to give you a hard time. Folks are trying to help you. Oh, I got hurt down at church. You're an idiot. You are an absolute moron. Hey man, you're stupid. Did I say that clear enough? You're an idiot. I got hurt at church. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't God that hurt you. It was church folks that hurt you. Uh, you mean like the folks down there at your job place that's hurting you? The Bible says Lot vexed his righteous soul with the filthy conversation of the wicked. See, the reason you think you got hurt at church, the reason you think you got hurt at church is because you enjoy the vexation from, that comes from the filthy conversation of the wicked. And when somebody gets in here, they start preaching righteousness and folks in here, when they, they, hey, church is full of a bunch of hypocrites. I know. I'm looking at a church full of them. If I had a mirror, I'd be looking at one more. I know it's full of hypocrites, but at least they're putting their best foot forward. See, you're living like the devil. You're living like a hellion, and you just want to let it flow out all over the place and don't want nobody to say nothing about it. But I'm telling you, honey, God has expectations for your life. God has expectations of holiness. Be ye holy, for I am holy. God has expectations. And listen, God is not just going to tell you, this is the way I want you to live. And this is really the crux of the sermon. God is not just going to tell you, this is the way I want you to live. God is going to instruct you. God is going to tell you. This is exactly, I'm so glad God is not vague and ambiguous. God tells me specifically. When I open up my Bible every day and I open up my Bible to read, I said every day, every day, even on Sundays, church is not a substitute for Bible reading. When I open up my Bible and I read my Bible, that is God telling me, this is the way I want you to live. The Bible said in the book of Jeremiah, he said, he said there will be a voice speaking behind you saying, this is the way. Walk you in it. That's what happens every time I open my Bible. I open my Bible and God said, that's how I want it done. That's how I want it done. You say, what is that? That's God's reform school. That's God's reform school. Now, let me, let me point this out to you. In God's reform school, he's got, he's got two members on staff. He's got a lot, he's got a lot more folks in his reform school. Over this little Christian school that we had over here, Charlton Christian Academy, uh, there was a bunch of staff members, and most of them was teachers, but there was one of them that was a principal. That's a, uh, you got principal, that's a, that's a rule of operation. That ends with P-L-E, right? And then principal, the guy who's the chief, he's the head of a particular thing, or it could be an object, that is, that ends in P-A-L. I just figured I'd give you a little spelling lesson there, something to help you to know how you can tell the difference between. Because the principal of a school, he's your pal. Right? P-A-L. There you go. So now you know how to, to tell the difference between those two things. You say, who's this principal? He's the chief. He's the head. And let me, let me show you who that principal is. Look here in Galatians chapter 3 and look in verse 23. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. The Bible says, but before the law came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ 
that we might be justified by faith. I really am thankful that that verse, a lot of folks misquote that verse, and I think I have uh, before myself, I, it, your, your feeble brain, your fleshly brain tends to fail you at times, but a lot of folks will quote that verse as, the law was our schoolmaster to drive us to Christ, but that's not what it says. It says the law, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us. He brought us. There's a difference between being brought and being driven. There's a big difference. Well, the Bible says that the law is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. You say, you say who's that law? That law's uh, the principle of God's reformed school. That's who it is. He's the principal of God's reformed school. Now, there's another member of God's reformed school. There's somebody else on God's staff, and I want you to hold your place there in Galatians 3 and look with me over in Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and look in verse 11. Titus chapter 2, look at verse 11. This is another of God's staff members in his reform school. But the Bible says, for the grace of God. Now, what are we talking about? I just read it to you. We're talking about the grace of God. That for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. Did you know that grace has something she wants to teach you? The grace of God wants to teach you something. Well, what's it want to teach you? Well, if you listen to the average preacher today, Baptist preacher, not Southern Baptist, independent Baptist, quote unquote, King James Bible believing. If you listen to the average preacher today, they'll tell you that what the grace of God wants to teach you is that you can get your sins forgiven, which is true. And because you can get your sins forgiven, this is not true, so don't say amen. But because you can get your sins forgiven, it don't matter the way that you live, but it does. Look at what the grace of God wants to teach us. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. You know what the grace of God wants to teach you? It wants to teach you why God saved you. It wants to teach you why it is that the Lord saved your wicked, sinful, dirty, rotten, filthy soul. You say, you're exaggerating about me. That's because you don't know yourself all that well. And I'm trying to help you understand who you is. We're going to have a little bit of self-discovery here this evening. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You're bad. You're bad. But what the grace of God does is it shows you that you're a sinner, shows you that Jesus Christ has the remedy. He is the remedy. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll wash those sins away. And then the grace of God doesn't stop there. The grace of God doesn't just take you and drop you off like, a, like an orphan child at the, door, at, the, at the doors of the church and just say, well, do your best with them the best way you can. No, sir, the grace of God, the grace of God goes home with you on a day-to-day -day basis and says, don't do that. That's not the way that the Lord wants you to do things. That's not exactly righteous right there. Don't do that. Boy, you know, it almost sounds like the grace of God has some handcuffs it's trying to put you in. That's not the modern idea of grace, though, but that's, that's the biblical idea of grace. So I don't see that. I don't care, but it's right there in the text. I mean, I, I hate it for you that folks find it very hard to, dis, to, to agree with verses that they read. You know, when you show somebody something from the Bible and they're looking right at it in black and white and they still look at it and say, I, don't, I, don't, I just don't see it according to the way that you're interpreting it. Well, that's not the fault of the guy who's explaining it. That's the fault of the person who's receiving the instruction or not receiving the instruction. Yes, sir. The grace of God is restrictive. You, you see, let's talk about liberty. Well, we live in America, man. We, we love, we genuinely love to talk about liberty. This is a country that was founded on the principles of liberty. But you know, the socialists and the communists, that, which that's what socialism is, it's communism. Yeah. It, that's all it is. It's a watered-down version of communism. But the, the communists have tried to teach you and teach our children, uh, through evolution, by the way, that basically what liberty is, is it just means you can do whatever you want. But that's not what liberty is at all. You know what liberty is? Liberty is choosing the right thing before somebody tells you to choose it. 
Did you know, boy, this is really interesting to me. Did you know that the characteristic of the church, one of the chief characteristics of the church is that it gives, it's charitable. That's not the primary sense of the word charity, but it is, it, it gives, it finds people that are in, needs, in need physically, not only spiritually. That's the chief emphasis of the church, but it does find folks that are in need physically, and it tries to meet those needs. That's one of the chief characteristics of the church. Has always been. Go to the book of Acts, and you'll find trying to meet people's physical needs all throughout the book of Acts. I don't think you can argue with that. I know you can't. It's right there in the book of Acts. Do you know somewhere around the 1950s, the church, the body of Christ, started declining in its emphasis on giving? Do you know what picked up right around the 1950s and has been making headway ever since? Socialism. It's forced giving. The church was doing it of her own free will before the 1950s. She still does it, but it's on the decline. Do you know that a lot of preachers are quitting the ministry? They're quitting the ministry, and you know what their number one reason is? Can't afford to live. You say, what's going on? Uh, well, folks, around the 1950s, man... Go back into the 16 and 1700s. Go up into New England. Go up into New England and see some of the churches that were built by people. They were built by people who the members of the congregation were making $2 a week. Stained glass windows, brick exterior. Hey, I'm not talking about just cheap Chinese-made garbage inside the, in, the interior of the church. I'm talking about stuff that was put together by hand. I'm talking about stuff people sacrificed for. About the 1950s, that started going down. You know what started going up? Socialism. You say, what is that? Folks, folks started, they started to refrain from choosing to do the right thing themselves. So now they're being forced. Now they're being forced to do what's right. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. I believe with all my heart, God will lead a man to pull money out of his wallet or take things out of his own cupboard or cabinets or pantry. God will lead a man to do that and give it to somebody else that has a need if that's, if that's what's necessary. I believe God will lead a man to do that. Well, what's happened is that the church has steadily been getting away from that, and now you've got a bunch of politicians right now, right now. They call themselves Republicans. They're sitting in Congress right now trying to figure out how can we get more tax dollars out of these folks and give it to folks that are quote-unquote in need. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, their liberty. You harden your heart against the Spirit of God. Your liberty goes out the door, and now you're going to be forced. Now you're going to be forced. Now you're going to be forced to do what you're supposed to do. I just want to have liberty, Brother Nathan. No, what you want is anarchy. See, what we're talking about is we're talking about God's reform school. In God's reform school, there's two, there's two officers in that school. One is the principle. That's the law of God. And one is the grace of God. That's God's teacher. And the grace of God, it's appeared to all men teaching us. It has something that it, it wants you to understand. It wants me to understand. You say, what does it want us to understand? Well, it wants you to understand that God wants you to live denying ungodliness. That's no, that's negative. Denying worldly lust. That's no, that's negative. We should live soberly. Here's the positive. Soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing and so forth and so on. You know, it looks like to me, look, look right there. You still got Titus 2 open? Look right there in verse 12. Teaching us, let me read it one more time. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You know what that looks like to me? That looks like the law of God in disguise. If I didn't know any better, I'd think that that was the law of God dressed up as grace. Hey, if you, if you did what the law of God told you to do, wouldn't you deny ungodliness and worldly lusts? Wouldn't you live soberly, righteously? Isn't that what the law is all about? It's about righteousness, ain't it? Soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. 
Oh, Brother Nathan, I thought the law of God was bad. That's because you listen to a stupid moron for a preacher. Did I stutter? I meant every word of what I just said. What you got is you got a hold of somebody who's trying to tell you that it don't matter. It don't matter what you do. Hmm? I mean, when a preacher's walking around sucking on a cigar in front of the church porch, I guess it don't matter. I, I guess it don't matter if a church if, if church members do that. Hey, if a preacher walks up to the platform and when he walks up to the platform in his jeans, you can see a skull can ring in the back of his pocket. Then I guess it don't matter. But that's not God's. That's not God's instruction. God says it does matter. And what it is is it's the law of God. Listen, the grace of God is trying to teach you the same thing that the law of God wants you to understand. The grace of God does not eliminate God's standard. You say, what's God's standard? God's law. God says, this is where you need to measure up to. Well, grace, grace. So what you're saying is you go to God's reform school and sit down and the principal says, now this is the way God wants you to live. And the law of God walks out the door and the grace of God, it's the law of God. It's the grace of God. It all connects to God. Grace, listen, you better be careful about these stupid songs that personify grace and personify mercy. This stupid uh, Gordon Moat has a song, Mercy. I hear, I, hear preachers sing, I hear preachers singing this song. Oh, Brother Nathan, I really like it. Like it all you want. But mercy stepped in. Mercy didn't do anything. God stepped in and did something. Hey, grace hasn't done anything for me, Brother Tommy. It's the grace of God. God did it. God did it. God did it. I don't care what, what independent Baptist doctrine that upsets. You can take it and stuff it in your pipe. Go on down the road. That's your problem. That's your problem. That's your problem. Grace didn't do nothing for me. The grace of God did something for me. Uh, your grace didn't do nothing for me. Your grace didn't do nothing. It's the grace of God. It's not ambiguous. It's not just some personification of some attribute that somebody possesses. It's the grace of God. It's not mercy. It's the mercy of God. It's not long-suffering. It's the long-suffering of God. That's why you shouldn't get your doctrine from Southern Gospel songs. You should get your doctrine from the Bible. So you're telling me that the law of God steps in and says, now this is the way that God expects you to live. This is God's standard of holiness. And grace steps in right behind him and says, don't pay no attention to him. He's such a mean fella. It's the law of God. And it's the grace of God. You're telling me that God's a schizophrenic? You are out of your mind. Those two things agree with each other. They agree with each other. They agree with each other. I, I, I'm going to get past it here in just a second, but I feel like that needs to be emphasized quite a bit. Yes, sir, the, the, the law of God and the grace of God, they do not disagree. They agree. Hold your place there in Titus 2 and turn over very quick to Jude. Look over in the book of Jude. Jude is the book right before Revelation. I, I think everybody knows that, but just in case you don't, there it is. Book of Jude. Jude, Revelation. Look here in Jude, verse 4. There's only one chapter, so when you find Jude in big letters, you're there. Jude, verse 4. The Bible said, For there were certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men. Well, that's what you're supposed to stay away from, ain't it? That's what the grace of God is trying to teach you. You should refrain from, stay away from ungodliness. Well, ungodly men have slipped in. Well, what are they doing? They're turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what's that lasciviousness? It don't matter what you do. Just do whatever you feel like. It's basically, it is the terminus. It is the logical conclusion of evolution. Hey, man, if man is an animal, I recommend killing your neighbor and taking everything they, you got, they got. You said, Brother Nathan, you don't really mean that. I mean every bit of that. If all man is is just an animal, Brother Michael, you be, it's your responsibility. Survival of the fittest. Oh, no, it's wrong to, it's wrong to kill. Where'd you get that from? You didn't get that from evolution. That's somebody's morals that you, you stole those. 
You stole that from Exodus 20. If man's an animal, you have a responsibility to kill everybody in sight that has something that you need or want. You have a responsibility. You ain't going to hear that in college classes, but it's true. Uh, why don't we kill folks, Brother Nathan? Because we're not animals. We're created in the image of God. And there's something inside your heart every time you want to pull out a pistol and shoot your neighbor because they cut you off in traffic. Of course, you wouldn't shoot them with a gun. You'd shoot them with a bird, wouldn't you? Hmm? Yes, sir. There's something inside your heart every time that that takes place. God said, mm-mm, that ain't right. Hey, before the law ever showed up, a man took another man's wife because the man who had the wife said, this is my sister. That's Abimelech. He took Sarah. That's Abraham's wife. Abraham said, this is my sister. And he was telling a half-truth. It's his half-sister. Brother Nathan, that's gross. It wasn't a sin before the law of Moses. They didn't get that revelation until the law of Moses. Where did Cain get his wife from? It was his sister, stupid. Oh, that's so nasty. That's so gross. Didn't come along until the revelation of the law. Say, you, you want to make excuses for that stuff, you help yourself. All I'm saying is, uh, let me get back to what the point I was trying to make. In comes the Lord, the angel of the Lord, and says, you're a dead man, Abimelech. Hey, whoa, what's this all about? He said, the, the woman you got's another uh, man's wife. Well, he said that that was his sister. I've done this in the innocency of my heart and in the integrity of my heart and the innocency of my hands. You say, what is that? Somebody knows. There's something on the inside. Man's not an animal. You've got to be an idiot to believe man's an animal. I said it exactly. I said it exactly. I, I did not stutter. I meant every word. You have to be an idiot to think that a man's an animal. Amen. You have to be morally insane. Brother Nathan, I have family members that believe that we came from monkeys. I do too. Truth, truth whether it affects your family or mine. Yes, sir. If man's an animal, where'd all them, where'd all them morals come from? Only reason, the only reason folks is now skipping around with ladies that ain't their wives and fellas that ain't their husbands. The only reason that's going on is because people's conscience has been seared. First time they ever attempted to do something that was inappropriate. First time they ever snuck around in their neighbor's garage and started pilfering through their material and saying, well, I'll just take this and I'll get out of here. First time they ever did that, something was in their heart saying, you, you, you're not right. Something ain't right. They just push that off and ignore it and keep going on. And after a while, their conscience gets seared. Oh, it don't bother me at all. It's because you're a reprobate. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's true. You say, what are you talking about, Brother Nathan? I'm talking about God's reform school. God wants you to live right. God wants me to live right. And you know what he does? God, God in his mercy, God in his long suffering, he sends you an instructor. You say, what is that? That's his grace. Do you know what grace is? Grace is not God's riches at Christ's expense. Grace is able to deal with a situation that is very unfavorable to you and be able to move and operate in that realm without losing your mind, without destroying something. It's when your kids come to you and say, Daddy, 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 Daddy. Am I getting on anybody's nerves? Because I'm, I'm already irritating myself. Huh? Grace, grace is when your kids come to you and do that, you look over and say, yes. I don't think we have a whole lot of grace in here, do we? Uh, it's usually something like, shut up! Oh, Brother Nathan, I never do that. Then you pray for me and Sunday I'll let you preach. Yes, sir. That should be the first Joyce Myers Church that's Baptist. But anyways, uh, anyways, another one of my bad jokes. Uh, of course, that really wasn't a joke. I mean, uh, talking about grace. Grace is God's ability. God's grace is God's ability to get around people that are much lower than he is. Is there any of those kind of people in here? Is there anybody in here that doesn't measure up to God's standards? Well, you know why God keeps dealing with you? God's law is not dead. 
God's law is still in existence. Oh, Brother Nathan, we got saved. When Christ died at Calvary, the law went away. You're stupid. The law, the law is still in effect right now. You say, not for me because I'm saved. For you. For you. You say, oh, no, Brother Nathan. Let me ask you something. Thou shalt not kill. Is it still true? Then it's still in effect. Here comes a Christian. They sit down in God's reform school. And here stands up a teacher. It's called the grace of God. And it says, now, children, this is the way that God wants us to live. And it pulls out a Bible. And it starts going through and preaching you a sermon. You know what the grace of God really is? It's wisdom. That's why I keep saying she. It's Proverbs. Opens up a Bible and says, this is the way God wants you to live. And it starts going through and starts delineating it. And here's some rebellious, backslidden, cold, hard-hearted Baptist. And keeps listening to this. I'm not listening to this legalism. They don't realize it's the grace of God. You know what God deserves to let you do, Brother Michael? God deserves to just cut you loose and just let you live the way that you want to live and then reap the consequences for it. You know what grace is? Grace is somebody standing up and saying, don't do that. That's going to hurt you. Hmm? You know what coming to church on Wednesday night is? It's the grace of God. You know why folks don't come to church on Wednesday night, Brother Michael? Because they see it as legalism. I'm not, I'm not putting up with that. I'm not, I'm not putting up with somebody demanding me to be at church on Wednesday night. And what they don't realize is that that's the grace of God. This is, the, this is what the Lord expects out of us. And she's so soft-toned and... Oh, I'm not putting up with this. And they march out. They march, get up and march out the classroom. And they're going down the hall. And here stands this big, broad-shouldered fella out in the hall. And says, hey, what are you doing? And they look at him and say, oh, oh. And they say, who are you? And that person says, I'm the law of God. You ain't got no business being out of class while class is still in session. You know what a lot of folks is doing? They're running right out of where God is trying to teach them by his grace. And you know what they're going to run into every time? They're going to run into the law of God. Look in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at it. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Oh, no, Brother Nathan. When we get saved, the law of God goes away. No, you got that from some preacher who didn't understand things. You may have got it from some, some writer, some, some author, but it's, you didn't get it from reading the Bible. I guarantee you that. The law of God's still in effect. Is, is it still right? Is it still right? Okay, it's still in effect. Yes, sir. First Timothy chapter 1, look at what it says. Look at what it says. Verse 7, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm, but we know that the law is good if, if a man use it lawfully. So there's the right use of the law, of the law and then there's the wrong use of the law. So who's the law made for? How do we use it? Look at what it says. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. You know what you don't use the law for? You don't use the law to say, well, I didn't, and I don't, and I don't. That's what the Pharisees did. Hmm? But you know what the law is for? Look at what it says. The law is not made for, the, for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient. You ever been lawless? I'm talking about after you got saved. You ever been disobedient? I don't, I don't know about that. It's right there staring you in the face. You ever been disobedient after you got saved? I have. Hey, got it right, praise the Lord, but I've been disobedient today. Got it right. But I've been disobedient today. The law's made for you. Oh, I'm not dealing with this gray stuff. And you march right out of the classroom and you know what you run into? Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not steal. And listen, you want to talk about the law in the Old Testament? There's a bunch of rules in the New Testament. Uh, 
First Corinthians chapter 16, the next thing we're going to deal with, I think, in Sunday school, I'm debating on preaching a sermon on it. He said, let all your things be done with charity. <laughs> that's a whole lot worse than thou shalt not steal. Oh, that's a whole lot worse. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for liars, <clears throat> for liars. That's people that don't tell the truth. They have the opportunity to tell it. They're asked, put their hand on the Bible and say, I swear to God, but they don't tell the truth. That's not just for kids, neither. For liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. You know what happens every time you get out of the, out of the way that the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ is trying to show you how to live? It don't just tell you how to get saved, it tells you how to live. The gospel not only tells you how to be saved, it tells you how to live. And every time you get out of that way, every time you stray from that way that you're supposed to live, the law of God is standing over there off to the side with a belt in his hand saying, you come any closer, I'm going to wear you out. You know what a lot of folks do? They run into the law of God, into the halls of God's reform school. And they say, I just don't understand all this legalism. And they march right on out the back door. And the law of God and the grace of God go to God Almighty and they say, we told them. And God says, that's all right, I'll send my truant officer out after him. You say, what's that? That's chastisement. That's judgment. I just don't like, I just don't like all this legalism. You're not going to like it when judgment comes, neither. You're not going to like it when God busts your can. I just don't believe God would do that. That's because you don't believe God. But it'll happen. And there ain't no preacher in his right mind that's happy about that stuff. But it's a warning. You know what you could have? You know what you could have, though? You could have the grace of God standing up in front of you and saying, <clears throat> now this is the way that the Lord wants us to live. You know what the law of God does, brother? You, you know why grace is better than the law of God? They don't disagree. But you know why grace is better than the law of God? Because with the law of God, it just says, this is what God wants. And then it leaves you to yourself. That's it. That's just God's expectations. And what you're left with is sitting there saying, man, I'm a wreck, which is true. You are a wreck. You know what the grace of God does? It does the very same thing. I said the grace of God does the very same thing. It stands up and tells you the same thing that the law of God says. This is God's expectations. And a man looks at himself and says, I'm a wreck. And grace says, okay, now that you got that down, I'm going to help you. God, God says, it's not just grace talking, it's God talking. God says, you understand you're a wreck? Okay, now, now that you got that, I want you to know that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. You've got instructions from my book. You have the ability to pray. And if you'll just call unto me, it's Jeremiah 33. It's an Old Testament passage, but it's, it, it applies the same in the New Testament. Call unto me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Amen. If you'll just call on me, I'll help you. And so now when you get down on your knees and say, God, I am a mess. God, I am a disaster. God says, I know, but I'll help you. This is how you do it. See, now I don't, I don't have to open up my Bible. Listen, I don't have to open up my Bible and go to my Bible and say, oh, I know, I know that there's a verse in here about this situation. What I've got going on right now is God took his book and he put it in my heart. Hey, I still have to read it because my mind has to be transformed. But God did something the day that I got saved. He took his law and he put it in my heart. You say, what is that? That is the grace of God. That is the grace of God. The grace of God is, I can do whatever I want now that I'm saved. No, sir. The grace of God is God taking his law and putting it in your heart. That's what Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8 is about. We're fixing to go there. 
But Romans chapter 7, chapter 8, God took his law and he put it in, man's, in, a, in a saved man's heart. And now it's not, listen, it's not just the issue that I have to do right. Hey, if you're saved, somewhere down in that bosom of yours, there's something that says, I want to do that. You may get frustrated. Listen, you may get frustrated. You may fail and your face be shoved in the dirt. That doesn't change God's expectations. But what you've got now is you've got access to the throne of grace. Yes, sir. Look, look, look over in Galatians 5 and then grab Romans 8 and we'll, we'll wrap this up. Galatians 5 and Romans 8. God, God has made a way for you to live right. God has made a way for you to be holy. You say, but Brother Nathan, this flesh, I understand. And that's not going away until the, either the day you die or the day that the rapture takes place. I understand that. And listen, I'm not saying that because you're so bad and I'll pray for you to get to where I'm at. I'm a victim. I'm a victim of those things just as much as you are. But that don't change God's expectations. And it doesn't change what God made available to you and I both through the grace of God. Look in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Look here. I preached a sermon on this, and so I'm not going to elaborate on it a whole lot. I'm just going to point, it, point the basic thrust of that sermon out to you one more time because it, it applies to what I'm talking about here this evening. He says, verse 22, this is Galatians 5:22. but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Boy, that sounds like a good list, don't it? What would you like for Christmas, young man? I would like some joy. I don't think Santa's going to bring that to you. God can give it to you, though. Long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Look at that last phrase. Against such there is no law. Here's a man. You say, what are those things? That is the ninefold fruit, singular, of the Holy Spirit. Here's a man who's operating under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and you know what gets produced in his life? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, temperance. Those things are produced in his life. And so long as he's under the influence of the Holy Spirit, so long as he's yielding himself to the, to the direction, to the control to the control, let's say that in a different term, to the conviction of the Holy Ghost, so long as he's operating under that, the Bible said he's operating in a place against such there is no law. The law is standing outside. Listen, imagine it this way. The law is standing outside of the fruit of the Spirit. It's not at odds with the fruit of the Spirit. It actually, it, it's all the same realm. But for sake of illustrating it, the law stands outside of this little box called the fruit of the Spirit. And it looks at the Christian and says, he's under the influence of the Holy Ghost. What can I say? I got nothing to, I got nothing to pin on him. Hey, the, whole, the law could come to the Lord Jesus Christ and look him up and down, all over, examine his life. No fault. This is going to sound like blasphemy to some of you. But did you know that if you're under the direction, under the conviction, under the control of the Holy Ghost, that same thing can be said about you? No fault. Oh, I don't believe that. Then what's all this stuff about with Paul saying he was blameless concerning the righteousness which was in the law? It can happen. I understand it's not going to happen to you the way that it happened to Christ. Because Christ never did anything wrong. The best you can do is when you do something wrong, Lord, I'm sorry. But those things that you keep repenting all over, over and over again, you can get victory over them. You can. You say, how? Leadership of the Holy Spirit. Power of God. God's book. Prayer. Now look at Romans 8. Look at Romans chapter 8. Look at verse 1. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. <clears throat> there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. 
That's the first stipulation. Second, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sent in his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. Oh, Brother Nathan, we're under grace. That sure is right, ain't it? That's wonderful, ain't it? Well, it's wonderful to be under grace. You know what it means? There should be some righteousness of the law showing up in your life. I just don't want people judging me. Sorry, it's going to happen. God's judging you. He that spiritual judgeth all things. You wanted grace. Now you got it. Come up. Take a step up, man. You can do it. This is not a Nike commercial. Just do it. No, sir. It's not you can put on a new pair of shoes and everything's going to be okay. You're going to have to put on the new man. That's what you have to put on. Yes, sir. It's this. You know why I close here this evening? Believe it or not, this is where I close. You know why I close here? Because this is what throws every single one of us off. You know what you're told to do in Romans chapter 8? Walk after the Spirit. Not after the flesh. You know what most of us spend most of our time doing? Walking after the flesh. You say, how do you know that? Well, just look down a little ways. Look at what it says, verse 5. For they that are after the flesh, what? And they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You know how, you, you know how I know I'm walking after the flesh? Because that's all I think about. You know how I know when I'm walking after the Spirit? Because that's what I'm thinking about. Listen, it's not just I'm thinking about it here for this hour while I read my Bible and then now I've got to go to work. No, sir. Man, when a man's walking after the Spirit, he sits down and he reads his Bible, does whatever, has his daily devotions, whatever. That's between you and the Lord. You need to have them, but it is between you and the Lord. But he sits down and when he gets up from that place, he doesn't put God out of his mind. He goes to work and he sits behind a trash truck steering wheel or he goes to work and he sits down behind his desk job, at, behind his desk at his workplace, or gets in the kitchen while she's baking cookies or pound cake. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. <laughs> but whatever's going on, while, while all of the hustle and bustle of life is going on, there's a leaning. Your mind's leaning in a particular direction. Meet up with a certain situation and instead of losing your cool, the initial reaction is not to flip your lid and cuss somebody out, but it's to drop to your knees and say, God, Lord, I. You say, what's going on? Your mind's leaning in a direction. You're minding the things of the spirit. You know why, folks? There's some folks. Listen, I, I'm going to keep using this illustration because it's here. I'm, I'm going to use it. I don't care whether it, you like it or not. You just have to lump it. But you know, there's some folks sitting in this church, they can't come on Wednesday night. They're not able. I'm not talking about because work holds them or family holds them. I'm talking about spiritually. They cannot come. You know why they can't come? Because they have a carnal mindset. Their mind is not leaning in the direction of God. Their, I said their mind is not leaning in the direction of God. Listen, when you get to a place, when you get to a place, the Bible says in Galatians 5, we didn't read it, but it says the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. These two are contrary one to the other. They're never going to be reconciled. The flesh will have to be transformed at the rapture. But until that time, they're always going to be fighting, always bumping heads, flesh and the spirit. They're contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that you would. You lean in the direction of the flesh, you're going to find it impossible, impossible, impossible to do what you want to do as far as doing the right thing. Hmm? Sit in your truck. Sit in your vehicle and listen to 16 hours of country music nonstop and then go try to pick up your Bible and read for two hours. Let's see how that rolls. It ain't going to happen. Because what you've done is you've pushed your mind into a direction. It's not compatible. It's not compatible with the Spirit of God. You say, well, how do I get it bent back? 
God, I'm sorry. I, I, I messed this up. But see, what a lot of Christians is doing is they're sitting around listening to country music, messing around with liquor, messing around with tobacco, messing around with whatever. A lot of folks is messing around with that stuff, and what's going on is they're trying to sit around and say, everything's fine, everything's fine, and what you've got is you've got something there that's pushing against each other, and it ain't, it ain't going to work. You get mad at a preacher, you can get mad at whatever, but it ain't going to work. It just ain't going to work. You say, what's going to happen? Listen, that, that don't just go for the things that I've just called out. That goes for lust. The Bible says abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. Goes for bitterness. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You say, what? Well, how do I get right, Brother Nathan? You're going to have to drop to your knees and say, God, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. You say, what is that? That's the grace of God. God, I'm wrong about the way that I'm looking at this. God, I want you to help me. I'm tired of this whole life. Say, what's wrong? I'm done. I'm trying to be done. What's going on with a lot of folks is that they're in a place to where they're looking at three or four things that's going haywire in their life and saying, well, I know that's bad, but for the most part, I like my life. And that's why you ain't getting nowhere. You haven't looked at your life and said, it's all a mess. This whole thing is a mess. Brother Chris, some folks, you walk up to them and say, man, what's going on? My life is a mess. Oh, hey, you're the guy I'm looking for. Let me tell you about Jesus. No, I don't want any of that. Something don't compute. Your whole life is falling apart, but church is not the answer. Christ is not, the Bible's not, prayers. You're not tired of your life. You're not tired. You're not tired of your life. You ain't tired of it. So keep just going around the block like Samson with his eyes gouged out. No power. I said no power. Just keep going around in circles and just do what you want to do. And consequences will come one day and you'll be dead and it'll all be over. So Brother Nathan, that's cold, but it's real. It's real. It's real. He said, Brother Nathan, I don't want to turn out that way. Walk after the Spirit. Walk after the Spirit. Hey, this is not just something we do on Wednesday night. This is not just something we do on Sunday. This, and I'm preaching to the choir, I believe, I think. But I do know that God wouldn't lay this on my heart to preach on a Wednesday night for no reason. So, Lord knows you better than I do. But this is not just something we do on Sunday. We do this every day. We do this 24 hours a day. We do it when we sleep. We do it when we eat. We are Christians. We don't do Christianity. We are Christians. Now, I want to be one. You decide what you want to be and help yourself. But I believe you want to be a Christian. I hope you do. Walk after the Spirit. Lord, help us this evening. God, Lord, I, I don't really know how to give an invitation to that. But, Lord, I believe, God, plenty's been said here tonight. Lord, I thank you, God, for the good liberty God, I pray you help us, Lord, with these things. God, I, I wish the whole church would have been here this evening. God, I know we got some folks out in youth camp, Lord, and God, I know that that was planned, but boy, I, I really hate it, God, Lord. I hate it, God. I believe, Lord, what was said here tonight has the potential, Lord, to really, and Lord, not just saying it, but God, to really change people's lives. I believe it with all of my heart. If folks could understand and apply it to themselves, God, Apply, not apply it to their wife or to their husband or to their boss man or to their pastor or to their congregation, but God, apply it to themselves. God, I believe we'd probably have a revival, but Lord, I believe God, not only uh, folks would see our light, Lord, we'd be able to let our light shine and folks would see it and begin glorifying God, but Lord, I believe folks would actually enjoy serving the Lord. Lord, there's so many Christians, God, that hate serving you, and God, Lord, I know you didn't make it that way. Lord, we've done that. God, I pray that you'd forgive us for our ignorance. God, forgive us for our stupidity. Help us. God, I pray you'd help us, Lord. God, help us, Lord, with these things tonight. God, I pray these things, Lord, be clear and stick with us. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Good night. May the Lord bless you. You're dismissed.